Welcome to Preaching for the Long Haul. My name is Solomon Wunschbaum. And I'm Jake Bauer, and we'll be your hosts. Today, we have a really special episode. We'll be asking the question of, is reading fiction important for preaching? And we have a special guest with us today, one of our beloved professors at the Moody Bible Institute, Dr. Rosalie DeRosay. Um, she has been a professor here at the Moody Bible Institute for 52 years. I'm correct. That's right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and you have your MA from Northeastern Illinois State and your MDiv from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and your PhD from the University of Illinois at Chicago. And I believe you have your dissertation in the language of preaching in the evangelical world. That's right. So super excited to have this conversation with you today about preaching and just welcome you to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's really, it really is an honor. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the first question that we would have is just tell us a little bit about your dissertation. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit difficult to describe quickly. And the title is, I don't even remember it. It goes on forever. But <laughs> uh, basically, I was in the rhetorical field, rhetoric, uh, rhetorical theory. And so I, I had, I, studied that I asked I had to prove first of all it was okay to do something Christian because mm -hmm. it was such a secular environment and I said since you are you're allowed to study discourse from a Marxist angle a feminist angle a gay angle I'd like to study discourse from a Christian angle first mm -hmm. of all to show you the validity of Christian discourse and then also to instruct the Christian community and how their discourse could be improved. Wow. Mm. So it was fuel of charts. It's the only time in my life I've known how to do charts on a computer. But yeah. um, what I did was study, I took uh, what he called transcriptions of gobs of messages of five major speakers, and that was Tony Evans, Stuart, Jill Briscoe, Joe Stoll, um, I'm not going to remember them, John MacArthur, hmm. And there was one other one that I'm just not remembering and transcribed them to study many, many wow. categories. And the categories were like illustration, the use of the pronoun I, hmm. uh, the, how, what the content of the illustrations was, how close they stayed to the text, etc. Hmm. The criteria of the five speakers I chose were that they had international ministries, national ministries, that they had written books, that you know they were really widely known and had yeah. been to Moody Bible Institute. Yeah. So I established that Moody Bible Institute was a major discourse community that represented others in the United States. And since this university was in Chicago, it was well known, and we had this many students. Then mm. I took transcriptions of many, many student sermons, wow. preached in labs, at male and female, mm. and did the same thing. And then I had to collect my, dis you know, my discoveries. And you know, some of them were that. Out of 110 illustrations, maybe only five were classic in any way. Huh. Hmm. Many were personally driven, my golf game, my this, my that. The students were better at staying close to the text, which makes sense because they're in a class. Yeah. Uh, women were more reluctant to say, I know, said, I think. Hmm. Uh, student preachers were a little more reluctant to establish authority even than of course, the five main preachers, et cetera. And then I made recommendations that people needed to use language that was more elegant, that they needed to vary their illustrations, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. That's basically it. Wow, thank you so much for yeah. sharing with yeah. us. Yeah. Before we even asked you to uh, to step on the podcast, I had no idea that was what your dissertation was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
That's incredible. Yeah. I, I think it's amazing that you had to argue for the legitimacy of that dissertation within the Christian world. You basically had to do two dissertations mm-hmm. to get your dissertation mm-hmm. out. Yeah, I'd established yeah. the primacy of Moody Bible Institute as an institution and as a viable collector. Yeah, yeah. Now it might not happen. That yeah. was 25 years ago. Yeah. Wow. yeah, it's a different world. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, Dr. DeRose, you've been a professor here at Moody for about 52 years yeah. now. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been a professor of literature that whole time? No. I, I actually started in radio at Moody in 1969 and was okay. a writer for radio. And then about the second year. So I've actually technically been teaching about 50 and a half years. And then I worked into teaching. They had seven students that needed teaching. A, stu- a teacher had left very suddenly. I was 22 years old. I didn't know mm. anything. I was barely older, and my students had never wanted to teach and began teaching English Okay. and fell in love with it immediately. Wow. And so they said, go get your master's in English, and I did. For 10 years, I taught just English. Mm. The communications course was a very new discipline. Yeah. Then I worked into teaching, writing for radio and TV, um, feature writing. Uh, I re- taught creative writing for 10 years. And then when we became a, th- a four-year degree-granting institution, we began teaching literature in the 90s sometime. Okay. We had never taught it on campus, and that's that's when I began teaching literature. I taught American and English lit, and then I applied to half-time be in general studies and teach literature, and that's when I began with my thematic courses, the first of which was Images of Christ. Wow. And at what point then, because you're also not just a professor of English or of literature, but you, you've also have been a preaching, uh, a preaching professor. Yes, sort of. Yes, message yeah. prep for a long time, since the 80s. Well, that's a very interesting story. No woman had ever been allowed to teach message prep for women. Mm. Wow. So it was a debate. So when, after I got out of seminary and could do it and had begun do- doing some preaching, they, they put my name forward and I was turned down. And a student got up in a question-answer chapel that they used to have with the deans and made them look so stupid for not allowing a woman (laughs) to teach message prep for women that it changed immediately. And I became the first woman in that recent history to teach preaching. Yeah, that's and that's a big deal because now the preaching program has lifted off the floor with women and totally. the preaching program and um, Dr. Norris and oh. yeah, they've they've really admitted and you've been consistently in message prep for All women for years, yeah. making a huge difference in the program. So that's a really big deal. And then when we took uh, government funds, men were allowed had had to be allowed to take yeah. it. Yeah, so I've had maybe ten or fifteen men. Yeah, They've which, always been wonderful. Which Jake took Yes, it, so. Jake yeah, took. Yeah, yeah. It was one of my favorite classes at Moody. I, I wouldn't yeah. just even say oh, that. Oh, so. that's very yeah. sweet. Yeah. And correct me, the, the class message prep for women, is that message prep for women? women? No, it's just exposi- it's just expository preaching. Okay. But it's, you know, it was this, it, when I go away, which will probably be next year, it will go away. That okay. class will disappear. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so sad. <laughs> Well, we kind of touched on the first question a little bit, but uh, I'll re-ask it in case you have anything else that you want to fill in in that kind of story. But what has your relationship been with preaching during your time here at Moody, and how did that develop? And I really never would have even thought of it until I went to seminary. Hmm. And I loved the preaching classes, and they were very intense. And I was usually one of two or the only woman in the classes of, of men and we p- preached in pods, and I'll never forget one message. Apparently, it was on Habakkuk. I apparently used all female illustrations, which there was no consciousness of that. It was not <laughs> my feminist attempt at anything. 
And, and, a, and a man complained, and the teacher read him the riot act. He said, look at you sitting there complaining about women's illustrations when you wouldn't even think of using one. Wow. It was really good. Wow. It was such an honor to, I was starting to apologize for myself, and he said, yeah. so my relationship to preaching at Moody in another way, just think of having been to 45 or more Founders Weeks, Christian yeah. Spiritual Emphasis Weeks, chapels. Yeah. I have heard a lot of preaching. Hmm. There are not a lot of surprises left, but there yeah. are some, yeah. <laughs> yeah. usually from my students. Yeah, yeah and I mean, back then, Founders Week, we had even more preachers who would come in. No comparison, week. yeah. You yeah. had three messages every morning, one in the afternoon, one at night, and it lasted seven days. Oh, wow. Would you enjoy listening to that much preaching? That preaching, I would. Okay. Not yeah. today's. Wow. It was different. These were old, bald men in gray suits. They all looked indistinguishable, but when they preached, it was magic. Wow. Yeah. Well, I guess we, I didn't have this one written down, but I would love to hear some of the differences uh, in, in preaching Founders they, Week. There was nothing about, they weren't concerned with holes in their jeans and leather jackets and screens in front of them. There wasn't a style. Yeah. Yes, there was a style, but it, the interest was not drama or theater. It was like this solid exposition, but these men had personalities. Wow. So they were distinguished by their humor or their eccentric illustrations. You know, there was Vance Havner, there was Howard Hendricks, there was Richard Strauss, the, all the big names of the day. And these men did not have second homes, and they had not written books for the most part. Maybe mm. occasionally Vance Havner had. And they had lived and suffered and stayed in people's homes. They didn't stay in hotels. They weren't rich people. They had been among the people. They weren't mm. teaching pastors, God forbid. Wow. They had married and buried and suffered and cried, and it showed in their preaching. Mm. What is, um, for you, even in preaching in the last few years, what are some of the things that have been pet peeves that you've noticed in preaching and trends that preaching has taken that you've not enjoyed watching preaching go that direction? I think there's so much pride. There's so much um, stylistic pride, and there's so many big stories, and sometimes you don't even believe them, and there's so much sonorousness or self-consciousness and uh, or else woodenness you know I, I i think ethos is the most important characteristic it's the the fact the, the that your heart is golden which makes your words golden mm. so there's an attachment between the heart and the words that shows it's just you know the man has been in touch with god or the woman oh. and and that they're not just pulling a, uh, uh, an old sermon from an old setting to jam into whatever they've been brought on to do. Yeah. I just don't think you almost ever see humility, but you do yeah. sometimes. Well, it's, it's more about style. Well, yeah. 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 Well, the topic for today is, <laughs> is reading <laughs> fiction um, important for preaching. And so before we even um, talk specifically about that, I mean, I would, we would love to hear why you're so passionate about fiction and literature. I think great literature, and let me make the distinction, it's not just that you read, it's what you read. Mm. I think great literature changes language. It, change, it makes you understand human nature. Uh, I think it is indirectly pulls you in. I think it's truer than facts because it puts things in settings. It's not disembodied. Wow. And I think it's seduction. And I say that in the best sense of the word. We seduce people into truth. When you give, when you read those stories, it changes your life because you're not aware that it's 
trying to change your life. And all of a sudden you go, oh, that's me. That's me. But the elevation of language, the dignity of the way it's said, the skill with which things are written, and the absolute lack of shallowness in treating human personality is is it's absolutely necessary it used to be the center the humanities used to be the center of all disciplines and mm. that has gone away and so we have a sh- kind of a shallow we go to the the best nonfiction book of the day or something so it teaches you to know people mm. i remember sitting under warren wearsby's ministry the 10 years he was at moody church which he's one of the great preachers of my life in that mm. time and he had read everything and he wouldn't read any popular fiction that had come out in the last 10 years and then I had him for a course at seminary in the history of preaching. There is no preacher he hadn't listened to, didn't have tapes of. And he just was unabashed about the absolute necessity to read well, uh, to know history, and to have uh, do something beyond what the last 20 books that came out on the press were. Wow. But I've seen it change my students' lives all my life. Yeah. I mean, both of us have taken classes with you, and it's both been... I mean, we're blown away always. You're very kind. (laughs) And it's an emphasis that you don't see often as well as far Mm -hmm. as literature goes. You know, that's that's never something that the pulpit is emphasizing and even that uh, teachers of preachers are emphasizing Mm -hmm. is, well, what are you reading? Do you want to improve your preaching? Then what are you reading? So Mm -hmm. it's really a unique Mm -hmm. emphasis of yours um, and also why we're excited to have you on today. And it's very nice to see that there are about 10. I've got a list of books that I sent to anybody at once. Some that are people that have written about the connection between preaching and literature Hmm. and the resources that are available. So, But it's not often that you hear it. Yeah. Yeah, well, we would love to hear your... Um, like your opinion and your take on why preaching, why why preachers should care about reading fiction and reading uh, for good that literature. reason. It's it's a way to know things. It's a way to understand human nature. But you see, we're in the era of the teaching pastor, uh, except for mm-hmm. the little church guys. Yep. It, and and so they show up to teach on a Sunday morning. They don't even have to know people, right? They don't know people. The yep. fact is, they don't know people. All they have to do is draw a big salary by showing up to a mega church, getting in the pulpit, doing you know some. Good take. What's the thing now? Takeaways here are your three takeaways in here. It's it's not necessary anymore. And then they're golfing and they're gadding about and they're spending money and they've got their boats. It's a whole different thing. And I do really Mm. think that money has all the relationship between preaching and money today has really, really taken a toll. Well, I don't know that I think preachers should make as much money as some of them do. Yeah. It distances them from their people. Hmm. So I think knowing people, knowing language. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any, if you have, I I wrote down top three, any recommendations for books that preachers should read um, to kind of do what you're saying, to to better understand people and better understand how to use language well in the pulpit? I actually do think Tim Keller's book on preaching is excellent, but I'm trying to think of- She just read it last week, funny. It's a very good book. Wearsby's um, Preaching in the Imagination. That's not exactly the title, but he goes through and he he shows you how the imagination has to be pulled in. Hmm. Books on preaching. um, I think everybody probably ought to read Sin Not the Way It's Supposed to Be because Cordius Plantinga is a preacher, and I've heard him preach, and he's wonderful. And in that, he, he sort of gives you all these principles on sin while illustrating with movies, great books, and all kinds of things. So it shows you a way to go about it. But I would say, 
I have a set of essays called Theology and Literature or something like that that I have forced my students to read for 40 years or something. That is the best set of essays as far as giving you ideas about where to go. But get yourself a very solid reading list and start reading, Hmm. even if it's young adult fiction. What are some of the classic literature, even just stories and fiction, that you would recommend for preachers to, to Pilgrim's be Progress is an absolute must. Mm-hmm. That oh. Wearsby used to talk about that all the time, and I think about that book almost every week of my life. Um, obviously, C.S. Lewis, you can't go wrong with his fiction. Get a, don't just do his nonfiction. Do his Chronicles of Narnia. Do Till We Have Faces. I would say... It's probably important to read one Russian novel and understand the existential uh, existence of of the Russian peasants and the importance, like crime and punishment. I would say Dickens is a master of human personality. Hmm. And then there's some very, very good contemporary novels that are good. Peace Like a River by Lee Fanger. Um, Mary Mary Lynn uh, Robin... What's her name? Mary Mary Lynn... I think it's Robinson, but I don't know. Anyway, her, her book, her trilogy... Uh, don't read the fourth one, it's terrible, but uh, <laughs> the one called Gilead that's about a preacher thinking about Calvinism. But honestly, mm. you, you need to go back and read the very basic classics first and then come all the way up. I could go on and on. I just too many in my mind to even begin. Yeah, no, this is great, though. Yeah. I mean, because I think for, I mean, even in the way that we've been trained in preaching and the way that, I mean, in a local church setting for Jake and I to have been trained in preaching, um, by, by our pastors. This is just something that I don't think is talked about as, yeah. at all. When was the last time they read a novel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's going to wean out. That, that'll really put a dividing line down right the uh, preachers right there. No, yeah. they probably watched a series or watched, watched something or know contemporary culture. There is more to life than contemporary culture. They're the great, great truths that inform language. Yeah. Dr. DeRose, I've been wondering about this in this season especially, and I've, I've had to preach a lot in this season for classes mm. in particular. And how do you reference novels without sounding pretentious? How often mm. do you reference novels? How mm. helpful is it to reference novels in your so preaching? That's a very good question because I always have people that write sermons in my class. Oh, by the way, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, less than 100 pages long, exposes the human heart in the mm-hmm. most profound kind of way, as does Dracula and Frankenstein, frankly. But... Uh, Students aren't very good at doing novels well, and, it, and it, that's an art in itself, so you have to frame it. You can't just plop it in because nobody's going to know. You're going to say, you know, in the 19th century, uh, you know, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote this kind of amazing, very short, readable novel called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Probably all of you know who Jekyll and Hyde are and have no idea what it's really about. And then you go, but what he talks about is the divided self. Hmm. And then you go into what about you is a hide that wants to get out that you really will not come to terms with. So that's the hmm. way. You don't read massive quotes. You frame it in time and space and then read very carefully prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. hear a lot of massive quotes on the pulpit well, today. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. Well, I'm looking through the, some of the questions that I had. Um, and we talked through some of the biggest pet peeves already. Yes. Um, but this is something that I heard in class. You kind of talk about this, and you kind of even talked a little bit about it with pa- pastors being teaching pastors and the way that they relate with people and how money and preaching has kind of divided um, pastors away from from their people. Um, but I would just love to hear your thoughts on, on how pe- preachers and pastors ought to relate to people in their congregation. They need to be with them. It's the same with teaching. I, I don't understand. I don't under. I know that there are reasons why p- certain teachers have to have accommodations, but 
That takes all the joy out of it. I would have retired last year if I had an accommodation issue. I want to be with them. I want to see their faces. Mm. I want to see what troubles them. I want to see that student who crawls off to the edge of the class and doesn't seem engaged. I want to know why somebody doesn't show up on Zoom continuously. I want to know, I mean, in the hybrid set. I want to be here. I've spent more time talking to students this year than I think in years. Mm. I've also had more of them into my home, but we won't talk about that. (laughs) um, uh, To me, if you want to just teach, you're disembodied. Mm. That's about you. Well, then you want to be known as a teacher. I want to be known as somebody who showed up at funerals and did them. I want to be known as somebody. I mean, I don't. I'm not ordained. This right. is an announcement. Um, <laughs> I, you want to marry. You want to sit by somebody's bedside. Otherwise, what do you care about? Yeah. It's 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 the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, um, the Lord is my product. I shall not want. You yeah. know, you're not. You are shepherding. You're not teaching. Teaching is part of the responsibility and the much greater part. I think you could be a weaker preacher. And be known constantly by the love you had for other people. Hmm. That's what we're supposed to be. I can't imagine Jesus accepting a job as a teaching pastor. He'd laugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dr. DeRose, what do you think about guest preachers? Someone who comes in on a Sunday morning in an alien pulpit that they've never been in just for that Sunday. I think that because really the kind of preaching I've done in churches and speaking at women's retreats, you have to spend some time asking the person that asked you what's going on in your church. What have been the biggest issues? Who? What are people hurting? What do they bring? You have to find out the setting you're going into. You can't just show up. Hmm. Unless there's, I can remember Lutzer got the pastor at Moody Church because Warren Wiersbe developed back problems and Lutzer was there and he had to step into the pulpit and preach. Yeah. That's a whole other thing. God bless him. I wouldn't want the job. Yeah, so. Yeah, wow. I mean, I have so many so many questions and so many different thoughts but I mean I'm just always so amazed at how I mean I feel like I just don't hear these things very often about how this change that's that's apparently happened within or at least in an American church of of pastors who like who get to just be with the people and get to love the people and now uh, well it's probably the I mean, would you say it's the mega church movement or I was at a church of 125 people for 10 years. And I walked away. I have never had a phone call. Hmm. My pastor has never called to ask why. Wow. What's so, wrong with that picture? If a student walks away from my class, I call him up. I hound him till I find out. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? What is wrong with that? That's horrifying to me. Hmm. You, If you don't know your congregation, what have you done? That means you se- selected certain people in the congregation you think are important. That yeah. means you don't matter. Maybe for me it's by virtue of being older. But you, but why, does, why is that the truth? Yeah. You know, I even gave well. You think you'd want my money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So do you think that some of that, I mean, and this is just where my mind is going right now, but I'm thinking about um, preaching being generally so much more pressure has been put on Uh preaching in the last 50 to 100 years and even just since the reformation in general Mm -hmm. it's just progressively been in the protestant church preaching 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 which solomon and i are all about preaching but do you think that part of the emphasis or part of the shift is the fact that we're emphasizing preaching to the fault of shepherding it's only one part it's only one part Mm. and i think it's perfectly possible for a man to be responsible as a preacher and study where a lot of guys don't yeah. I get that. but And not be a sensational preacher, hmm. but to have been an absolute success because he loved his people and he showed up 
and and you could tell by the way he preached his messages that he had been thoughtful about what it, that it had meant something to him. Yeah. I can't preach something that doesn't mean something to me. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, why would you say that during this time that preaching is important for the church? I mean, especially during this COVID pandemic time where so many churches have been online for so long. And I know it's terrible, too. They, take, they have no courage. I think that preaching today, I don't even get why all these churches have closed down and haven't mm. reopened. And I, I mean, I don't even, t- I don't care. You know, I'm like, I, I've got one foot in a banana peel and the other in the grave. I can say anything I want. <laughs> I, what, there's no courage in this country whatsoever, except mm. in Chicago, some small Pentecostal churches, some Romanian, some black churches. Yeah who defied the orders and went ahead and met. And Willie Wilson paid their fines, God bless him, this black man that's made a lot of money, very, very nice guy. Mm. And we have had no courage. We take no chances. And then in the pulpit, we're not preaching courageously about what is happening in this country as far as the repression of religious liberty. Mm. Instead, we have fallen into cultural cliches. We are not bridging the gap between we have got persecution coming. We are heading for Marxism. Mm. We are heading for total repression. And we are not preaching, and we're and about it. I think I think the whole virtual church. In fact, the way it's been handled, it's almost like now I think people probably prefer staying home. Hmm. Yeah. Me, I couldn't wait to get to any open church I could find. I mean, no. I would have gone to anything short of a satanic mass. You know, <laughs> like let me get me into the church. I want to go to church, hmm. and th- there should have been preaching about that. Yeah. With mourning, we come to you in this virtual fashion. Not this is a wonderful thing that God has given. This is what God has given to get us through. But let's do you see what I mean? Yeah. 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 Preaching from the prophets, preaching from oh yeah. Yeah. There's there's some churches out there that are maintaining the online model on top of their normal in person congregation. So saying we'll come back in person on this date, but we're gonna continue to have an online model that's available to those who we're want to We're in a new home. normal. It's yeah. gonna happen here too. Yeah. Mm. Do you, what do you uh, think about that? Oh, Let's, yeah. I think we say, first of all, the new God is safety. Hmm. Don't be preaching about, quit with the, the articulating of all these stupid injunctions about COVID. Hmm. Instead, say, okay, you know what? The law is making us do certain these things. I'm sorry to have to repeat them again. Do it reluctantly. And then say, but we cannot have safety as our God. Is God in charge of our lives or not? I. If one more person says to me, be safe, I'll say, there's a bigger chance of me being killed by a gun across the street than by this COVID thing, you know? I I, I have no patience for what's going on, but I come mm. from long-term missions where, yeah. I mean, think about what my parents lived among typhoid and tuberculosis and all the mm. people that go to the Sudan and everywhere. And we are doing this, mm. carrying around little hygiene kits? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, not a problem. Jake's just laughing over there. But we're actually... He's heard all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've taken... Your, we've you, taken... You, oh, we've been you in your know, classes. You oh, know. yes. Not mild-mannered. Uh, yeah, we're actually at the at the, the point now where we're going to ask the two closing questions. This time has gone by so fast, so fast. Dr. We knew it would. Yeah. yeah, it did. It really went yeah. fast. Yeah. <laughs> and we knew we would love to have you on here, though. And so we thank you even just... Um, for having come on. Oh, it's fun. Um, but the two closing questions that we love to ask our guests um, is first, 
what would your encouragement be to young people like Jake and I who feel called to pre- called to preach to prepare for a lifetime of preaching? Stay away from cliché. Never be taken in by ambition. And stay away from power mongers and stay close to the common people. Hmm. Can you explain cliché to me? Yeah, cliché is all the things, the buzzwords and the buzz movements that are going on always go, and I don't mean in a pretentious, cutesy way, but don't fall into the way that things are always said, even even theological things, but certainly don't go with the movements that come along that just infest the church and take it up. Hmm. Talk about race in a different way. Hmm. Don't talk about it in the usual way. Talk hmm. about poverty in a different way. Don't sentimentalize things. Hmm. That's really good. Yeah, yeah, no, it really is. And the last question, because we're doing this podcast, one, for us to encourage preachers to shape a lifetime of preaching, but also hopefully for those who are preaching consistently to a congregation. And so what would your encouragement be to the tired local church pastor who's discouraged by the task of preaching but still has to preach this coming Sunday? I love this question. Preach about tiredness. Hmm. In other words, preach it. Hmm. I think we so stay back from it. I've gotten up in class and say, I'm just dead tired. Hmm. I'm really discouraged. So let's see what this text has to say. Well, I am your preacher, but I am tired. I get discouraged. It's not your, it may be your problem, but it's really mine. This is what I'm going through. Do you know how much people want to hear that? Hmm. And how much they resonate with somebody that's not always on? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of guys out there in the church today oh. that are just always on. I mean, you can't you can't see through them and, or you distinguish can't. what's real and what's, you know. And then they fall from grace, like the Hillsong people, or like you know yeah. all the names that have gone down. Yeah. How do that's? I just talked to my classes. How is that we have so many people falling from grace? I mean, Robbie was one of the great horrors of my life because he was yeah. my great hero. Hmm. He was the person I thought had the best ethos. I mean, where does this happen? This happened a long time ago. You have to check your spirit and know. And Mm. if you are that tired, you have to ask your congregation for a week's break. Yeah. I'm not into this major sabbatical thing that's going on in the (laughs) past. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, any last thoughts from either Jake or Dr. DeRose? I think you guys are wonderful, and I think you're probably beheaded for very good pastorates, and I hope I'm... I can still hear when I can come and oh, well. preach. <laughs> well, we are so honored, Dr. DeRose. Uh, one to hear to be complimented like that, um, but also to even just to have you on in our oh. podcast and have this conversation with you. Thank you. Yep. Well, thank you so much for listening. This has been the Preaching for the Long Haul, a podcast where we hope to shape a vision for preaching for a lifetime. Mm-hmm.